0: recovery elevator episode 409
1: you know at that point i was drinking alone because and it started with like you know happy hour zoom calls with friends and family and it just kind of started to creep earlier and earlier in the
0: day uh like this yeah that should work mix down (laughs) yeah keep going yo yo
2: mix down
0: three four yo yo Wiki, mix, mix, <laughs> mix down. There we go. Wiki, wiki, mix down. Guys in the house. I love it. Wiki, wiki, mix down. There we go. Welcome four, to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. I'm so excited to be here with you guys today. Listeners, on today's episode, we have Jeremiah. He's 35 years old from Denver, Colorado. Took his last drink on April 27th, 2022. Great job, Jeremiah what's going down new year's eve well we've got sober prom december 31st in downtown san diego we've got athletic brewing sip clean sound soda and crumble cookies sponsoring this rad alcohol free event this is for cafe re members only go to the members site for more information listeners on january 1st we have our 30-day intensive dry january course 2023 is a new year let's get it started right We meet 14 times in January. Classes are Sundays at 1 p.m. Eastern, then Mondays and Thursdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. You're gonna start and end this course with a cohort full of people just like you who have reached the conclusion that alcohol needs to go. All sessions are live and you can watch the recordings if you miss a session. Now this course is not 12-step based, but we do cover if AA is right for you as well as other recovery modalities. Go to recoveryelevator.com forward slash restore for more information, the course outline, and to register. I want to say thank you to all of our Cafeery chat hosts. You guys do an incredible job. And after the interview with Jeremiah, I'm going to cover how a certain generation is drinking less. So stick around. And now let's hear from Exact Nature.
2: Exact Nature's all-natural CBD-based products are specially formulated to help you lighten the load in recovery. Recently, I've been taking Exact Nature's Z's pills and sleeping so well. These products are 100% THC free and they can be a great tool for your recovery. Learn more at exactnature.com and use the promo code RE20 to receive a 20% discount on your order. That is RE20 at exactnature.com.
0: Okay, let's get started. The cost of inauthenticity. Now here's some other ways to say that. The cost of you not being you. The cost of you doing what others want and not what you want to do. The cost of you not standing up for yourself or setting healthy boundaries. Okay, the cost of inauthenticity. I can finish that sentence with one word. The cost of inauthenticity is pain. How those who are listening right now have addressed this pain is primarily with alcohol. For many of you, not being your true self is causing you or has caused you a considerable amount of pain. Authenticity is being attuned to what you need and putting yourself first when you need to. Another branch of authenticity is being able to select a life path for you that best fits your personality and personal needs. Speaking of personality, this one is big. One must feel they can express themselves while being themselves. When we are not authentic human beings, it is painful, cue alcohol, it worked wonders for me until it didn't. So everyone wants to be authentic, but don't beat yourself up. If you have the choice between hiding your feelings, even from yourself and getting the basic care you need or being your authentic self, we all pick getting the basic care we need every time. In early adolescence, we split from our authentic selves if we don't get the care or attention we need. We choose survival over authenticity. As Dr. Gaber Mate puts it in his book, The Myth of Normal, thus is our real selves are leveraged bit by bit in a tragic transition where we secure our physical or emotional survival by relinquishing who we are and how we feel. Now, as these patterns get wired into our nervous system, the perceived need to be what the world demands becomes entangled with our sense of who we are and how we seek love. Inauthenticity is thereafter misidentified with survival because the two were synonymous during the formative years. Being a people pleaser, my hand just went up, is a form of inauthenticity. I love how Trisha Lewis from Recovery Happy Hour says, she's a recovering people pleaser. My hand just went up again. In 1987, the psychologist Dr. Lydia Timo proposed what became known as the type C personality, These traits would be cooperative, appeasing, unassertive, overly patient, unexpressive, and intense people-pleasers. She interviewed 150 people who had onset melanoma, and she found these patients to be excessively nice or having the type C personality. The point the psychologist is trying to make is being inauthentic can lead to physical disease. Dr. Sarno, an author and back pain specialist, after years on the job, Reach the conclusion that back pain is not structural, but repressed emotions, mostly a rage. Living an inauthentic life will require numbing agents. I'll be the first to tell you that. I was one of three non-Mormons in my elementary school. I had to be inauthentic to fit in, to survive, to make friends. It sucked. It was not fun. And now I'm in recovery. So what is recovery? I love how Russell Brand says it's recovering the person we are meant to be. My hand just went up again a third time on this episode. So how to be authentic. Now this isn't done overnight, and of course it's a practice and a balance. I was in a bad mood this morning while doing some Christmas shopping at Ross. My authentic self wanted to yell out to the whole store, has anyone heard of price tags? Your business will do better if customers know how much your products cost. For some reason, I could not find the price tag and a couple items, and neither could the cashier, and it was kind of pissing me off. The point of this story is I'm glad I did not authentically let the store know how I was feeling about their business practices. I suppressed these emotions. But after I record this podcast, I'm going to do my recovery work. That's in air quotes. And I'm going to play the ukulele. I'm going to go and say hello to my four Nigerian dwarf goats. There's also a great chance that Maple Donuts will make an appearance this weekend for me. The two sides of the authenticity coin are... One, saying no to bullshit. And number two, doing more of what you enjoy. No to bullshit. I found myself on the CDC's website, this is Center for Disease Control, and they have the top 10 leading causes of death in the US listed. Tobacco, which is number three after cancer, is not on the list. Come on CDC, we know you're in bed with somebody, but that's bullshit. Yes to what you enjoy. I've always loved a certain reptile that does not have legs. It's built into my DNA or something. I now have two of them. For me, letting this authentic part of me out is a no-brainer. So before we wrap up this intro, I want you to ask yourself, where are you not being authentic? What bullshit in your life are you putting up with? If your thinking mind doesn't provide the answer, then listen to the body. Now here's the best part about sobriety. It's not a node alcohol but it is a yes to a more authentic life that doesn't require alcohol okay and now a word from our sponsor better help before we hear from jeremiah
2: have you ever wished that there was a manual for life and sobriety i don't know how long you've been listening to this show but i even wrote an episode intro on this topic titled there is no manual i remember going to treatment and seeking for the manual on how to fix myself tell me what steps to take I'll take them and voila, I'll be as good as new. Boy, was I wrong. Therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills. They basically assist in creating your own personalized manual, your tool belt. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com/elevator. That's betterhelp h e l p . com/elevator.
0: Jeremiah, how are you?
1: Hey, Paul. I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm doing uh, pretty well this morning. Got a little run in and I'm going to go with a B plus so far for today. And you know what? A B plus is all right for this
0: morning. A B plus, right? And you need the, you need the B minus, the C as so the F days to appreciate or even to know what a B plus or an A day is. I appreciate that. Jeremiah, let's get right into this. When was your last drink?
1: It was April 27th of this year, 2022.
0: April 27th of this year. Congratulations. That's huge. How, how do you feel?
1: Uh, Right now I feel really good. Um, You know, I've been on this journey for the last two years and uh, this is, this is the best I've felt so far and uh, the most sober time I've put together. So it feels really good right now.
0: Fantastic. And, and Jeremiah, let's get to know a little, a little bit more about yourself. Tell listeners where you're from, your age. Do you have a family? What do you do for a living? And most importantly, Jeremiah, what do you like to do for fun?
1: Sure. So I uh, grew up in Wisconsin, lived there till I was through college. And uh, now I live in Denver. Uh, I am 35. I am a software implementation engineer for a manufacturing company here in Denver. I am a uh, single, not married, no kids, two dogs. Uh, and for fun, I like to do pretty typical Colorado stuff in the summer, a lot of biking and hiking and camping, um, in the winter snowboarding. Uh, and I like to do some woodworking and then just see concerts around town, find new restaurants. Um, yeah.
0: What are your favorite ski resorts in Colorado or what's your favorite?
1: Uh, my favorite's definitely Arapahoe Basin, and uh, they've uh, kind of broke up with Vail Resorts because they used to have this A-Basin Keystone Pass that was awesome. It was like 350 bucks for the year, uh, and it was perfect. And they have since cut ties with Vail, Re- Vail Resorts. So um, it's still my favorite. I still get five days there on the pass I have. But yeah, it'll always have a special place in my heart.
0: Gotcha. Now, before we get into your journey, your story away from alcohol, I want to talk to you about there's listeners, there's a beautiful black and white photo of a large bison on the American plains behind Jeremiah. I want to hear that story from you. What that? What that photo means for you? What that bison means to you?
1: Yeah, sure. So actually, I was in, in rehab up in Estes Park. And we'll talk about that more later, I'm sure. But they have a spiritual advisor there. And it kind of he's he's kind of there to talk to people about their higher power and what it might be and we were going through a walk or going for a walk one day and it's uh it's a beautiful place it's right by rocky mountain national park and he was explaining to me that bison when a storm is coming they will they will just kind of group up and march through the storm right into it um because that's the fastest way out of it and and cows on the other hand will run away from it and then they get stuck in it longer and it's and it's just not not as good of a not as good of a way to get through the storm. So he he told me to be the be the bison, not the cow, and uh, that just kind of stuck with me. So when I got out, I found that picture, and it's moved with me
0: since. Jeremiah, we have an intensive dry January course every January, and I know the first one we did. It's called Restore. That is a slide that I opened up the whole course with was buffalo orientating themselves toward the storm. Toward the storm. So there was an Indian chief, I think it was a Cheyenne Indian chief or a Navajo Indian chief that said, all the answers to our dilemmas as human beings, the answers or how to navigate those difficulties could be found in nature. We are in nature and other animals experience the same issues that we do. And he referenced the bison, it said, when a storm comes, the bison come together, right? They unify and they orientate themselves towards the storm and they walk through it. So the quickest way out is through. I love it. And I totally agree. And it's it's a great metaphor analogy for recovery work is, yes, you can do this alone. Wait a second. I want to retract that statement. You can try to do this alone. And a lot of us start this journey alone. But for me, and I'll I'll hear your take on this shortly, but I found traction when I began going through this journey with other people. So I would orientate myself with other human beings and then move forward in life towards a storm. This is facing the emotions, facing whatever comes my way in life without alcohol, but here's the key part with other people. So I love, I love, I love that photo. I love the meaning behind it. And and there's truth to it, right? This is what bison do in nature.
1: Well, I think it's it's not only a good metaphor for recovery, it's just a good metaphor for life. Cause you know what? There sometimes there are storms. Sometimes the weather is great, sometimes it's not, and sometimes life is really good and sometimes it's not. And that's just life. And it's how you it's how you get through those hard times. So yeah, it's a great, great metaphor, I think.
0: Jeremiah, I want to pull one more point out of your B plus day, right? And, and this is something that I've been trying to embrace internally with myself. And that's, that's all emotions are created equal, right? We live in a world of dualities uh, in this universe, especially on planet earth, where you need to know sad to understand, ha- understand happy, you need to understand sour to know sweet, cold to know hot silence to know sound. Um, and yes, we all want great days. We do um and we're all striving for happiness but with that you need to have the really shitty days to understand the good days and be thankful for those days so this has already been a great interview jeremiah how are you feeling good all right well let's get in your story with alcohol jeremiah you're 35 right now talk to us when you first started drinking and and when did you recognize that alcohol was no longer serving you
1: Yeah. So I I didn't really start drinking till college. So I graduated, uh, I graduated high school in 2005. I played three sports, just didn't really drink a lot in high school. And then I went to uh, University of Wisconsin, which is a pretty big party school. And, and I would say I drink like a normal college student, which is, you know, more than is healthy and
0: more than most people drink. (laughs) Let's define what a normal (laughs) college student drinks.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. So, uh, you know, I was in college from 2005 to 2010. And yeah, we would, I would go out multiple nights a week but um you know it didn't control my life at that point I still you know excelled in my classes had a lot of friends was traveling um just I mean I had a really good college experience and I don't at that point yes I was you know drinking probably more than what is healthy but it it did not uh consume me um like it did <laughs> like it did in my later years so uh, graduated in 2010, uh, moved out to uh, Salt Lake City uh, with my girlfriend at the time, and really cut back drinking. Then it was kind of the yeah, you know, you drink a lot in college, and then and then you get a you get a real job, you grow up, and and the drinking cuts back. And I did that. lived lived there for two years. Uh, ended up uh, getting married there, and then found a uh, a better job that I liked in Denver. And my uh, wife at the time wanted to move to Colorado too. She had a bunch of family here. So we moved to, uh, moved to Colorado and, um, yeah, didn't really, wasn't really drinking a lot. And that was that, that probably lasted through, uh, well, it lasted up until COVID, but in that time period, I, um, ended up getting a divorce. Uh, I don't, I don't think it really contributed to my drinking at all. It was one of those things where we were really good at, at dating in college. And it turns out we weren't great at being together in real life. And it was very amicable. We split up. I did get a, a DUI in 2015. And I, and I bring that up because, you know, when that happens, there's obviously some, some repercussions that you have to deal with. And one of them was taking this uh, alcohol class for a year. And as I was going through it, I thought, this is stupid. Like, why do I have to go to this class two nights a week for a whole year? Like, I'm, yeah, I'm on probation. I just won't drink for a year. It's not that big a deal. And they were talking about addiction and withdrawals and all this stuff. And I was like, why do I have to sit here and listen to this? Like, I just can't drink for a year. It's fine. And I didn't. And and now that I understand more about what addiction is, I'm like, oh, okay. That totally makes sense.
0: So question, you went a full year in 2015 after your DUI without drinking?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it was fine. I, I took some trips, like solo trips that were multiple weeks long during that period. And it didn't even cross my mind. I was like, well can't drink for a year so I just
0: won't <laughs> so um, would you consider yourself a normal drinker or you have experienced being a normal drinker this is in college right and again we, we we chatted about what is a normal drinker college student drink um and the time in Salt Lake City where you could take it or leave it would you say and it sounds like 2015 you could
1: yeah yeah I would say I was uh I don't know if I would say normal because I've always I mean've I've always drank like it was always part of my life probably more than than others around me, you know, and I look back, but up until 2020, it was, it didn't consume me. It was, Hmm. if I had a big, if I had plans, if I, you know, had a lot going on at work, I had a trip, I just wouldn't drink and I wouldn't think about it. Um, And it was kind of the same with that, with that year that I didn't drink. It was like, oh, okay, I guess I won't drink. And even when that was done, when I got, when I got off probation, I got off a a year early. I was supposed to be on for two years, but I, I wrote this glowing letter to the judge and he let me off a year early. And I, I think it was even a couple of weeks after that, that I even drank. So at that point I was living mm-hmm. alone and it was like, well, who drinks alone? <laughs> Little did I know, but it was, it was a couple of weeks that I still just didn't drink. Cause I wasn't thinking about it. And then, you know, I started, you know, hanging out with friends again and then, yeah, you know, go out to dinner, go to a concert, whatever, go snowboarding. Um, and just, it, yeah, it became part of my life again. But again, it didn't consume me. You know, if I had to wake up early the next day, I just wouldn't drink the night before and it was fine. Sure. I definitely would, I would not drink after I got home from a dinner or something. I wouldn't drink alone. And that obviously changed, uh, changed with COVID.
0: <laughs> yeah. So Jeremiah, I'm thankful in my life. I had about seven years of normal drinking or non-problematic drinking, shall I say, where I can have the the opposites, right? So I understand what that period looked like. And and when the addiction took hold in my life as well, you said something up until COVID that I wrote down and underlined. And this is something I've heard before, like life was cruising, we were doing, doing things and then boom, insert pandemic, insert COVID. Um, Talk to us about what happened with your drinking then.
1: Yeah. So it was, so the first couple of weeks of COVID, this was like March of 2020, you know, we were all told, okay, work from home, don't go anywhere. And I thought this is gonna be great. I'm gonna cook meals. I'm gonna save a bunch of money. I'm gonna get in great shape. I'm gonna do a bunch of work in my house. And the first few weeks were great. Uh, you know, I went for a run at lunch and just was was feeling really good. And then it was like, Oh, I am not interacting with any other humans.
0: <laughs> mm, you living alone at that time, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. And it was, it wasn't even like I could go hang out with friends. Cause that was, you know, end of March, 2020, when everything was just shut down and they were mm-hmm. telling everyone to, to stay at home. Um, and then it started to get, uh, you know, I started to get a little bit of depression, a little bit of anxiety about everything that was going on. I had a, just my normal yearly physical in April, which is all i really ever went to the doctor for and it was over zoom and he was like so how's your mental health with everything going on and i was like "Well, i don't know like i've got yeah a little bit of depression going on a little bit of uncertainty some anxiety there um so he put me on on zoloft and xanax and i'm not trying to blame anything on him like uh, healthcare professionals obviously had their hands full at that point um but i started to take the xanax way more than uh was healthy for sure um so that was, you know, April, May, June-ish of 2020. Um, I was taking too much Xanax. I was still, you know, at that point, I was drinking alone. because And it started with, like, you know, happy hour Zoom calls with friends and family. And it just kind of started to creep earlier and earlier in the day. And, you know, obviously, drinking and taking benzos is not, not recommended. But um, at that point, I, I still didn't know anything about addiction. I thought, yeah, that's something that happens to other people. I know you're not supposed to do this, but it's not going to happen to me. I'll be fine. And it just got worse and worse. It was the same the same time that I um, started a relationship with a woman who lived in North Carolina. We had known each other through work from way back in the day. and uh, you know we we like flew back and forth to see each other a little bit. We do zoom calls and stuff, but but my my drinking and my xanax picked up and picked up. And yeah, it just got worse and worse. And that was kind of 2020 into 2021. I think the first time I really tried anything recovery related was November of 2020, where I joined a, an IOP or an intensive outpatient program. And even at that point, I was like, yeah, I need to, you know, Xanax is a problem. I'm really here for that. But I, I was not ready to quit drinking, I thought. And I, I was open about that in the group. I was like, yeah, I'm here to quit Xanax, but I'm mm-hmm. probably going to drink again. And that's right. That's where I discovered uh, recovery elevator because one of the other guys in the group was was a member of Cafe RE. So I I don't remember when I joined, it was probably beginning of 21, but was kind of just on that on that train where I was I was trying to control the drinking, trying to cut back all through 2021. Uh, and as you know, that doesn't work and it just got
0: worse and worse. And listeners, you know, trying to control the drinking, trying to cut back. That is the normal entry point into recovery work. In fact, that's that's the more common story that I hear than opposed to somebody reaching the conclusion, I got to stop, including myself, try to moderate, try to control. And after each failed moderation technique with each brilliant idea, yeah, it didn't work. Yeah, I slowly reached that moment when was there a moment when you were like, oh shit, I'm in recovery. Like wh- what does recovery even mean? What What is going on? I'm really struggling quitting. Maybe it's not just the Xanax and Xanax are like benzodiazepines. This would be Valium as well. It's kind of that class, which I've heard it referred to as alcohol in a pill. Um, I had some rough experiences with, experiences with those as well. So when was it like, oh shit, I, I I need to quit drinking. I'm in recovery. Can't do it. Was there a rock bottom moment?
1: Yeah, I think that well, yeah, there were two. They weren't at the same point. When I considered myself in recovery was was the beginning of 2021. I was starting to not do well at work, and of course, I told my boss, "Oh, it's like this depression, anxiety, pandemic, blah blah blah." So I took some time off on on FMLA, but that's when I really knew, like it's it's the alcohol, and that's that's the reason. So I would consider in recovery in 2021, but. You know, it just got worse and worse through that year. Um, I ended up getting fired from that job in August. There wasn't like a, a big moment where I got, you know, I was drinking at work or something. It was just, I stopped showing up to stuff. Like we'd have meetings and I would I would log on to the Zoom meeting and then I would just pass out. Like I would just be unresponsive. So it got to the point where they just fired me. And I was like, well, it, it, I can't really blame them for that. Was, was your screen at least away. off? Oh yeah, my camera was off, but okay. I could log in and just like, wake up like two hours later and be like, huh, okay.
0: I'm and, the last one on the meeting,
1: yeah. <laughs> the meeting is still open, <laughs> yeah. And I have all these messages,
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. The first couple times, it's funny. You can always say, "Oh, my internet went out," or "My camera doesn't work," my microphone stopped. But when it happens a lot, people are like, "Okay, this is not going okay." So yeah, I got uh, I got fired in August, and I was still drinking. Um, you know, I was still drinking, still dating this woman, still not on a very healthy path. Ended up finding another job pretty quickly that was up in Loveland, Colorado, which is uh, about an hour north of Denver. And this woman also found a job in Loveland and we were planning to move there together. And it was, you know, things were going pretty well with my recovery at the end of 2021. And then I just, Christmas had a massive relapse. She was gonna come here for the holidays. Fly in New Year's Eve or Christmas Eve. I did not pick her up from the airport, and that was that was kind of the final straw. Just all the, all the lying, all the you know, basically just being a shitty boyfriend for a year and a half.
0: Wait, back it up. Um, did you say you you forgot to pick her up at the airport, or you did not pick her up at the airport?
1: I I would I would say I did not forget to, I did not pick her up because okay. I was drunk. <laughs> gotcha. Hey, that's a safe yeah. move, right?
0: <laughs> that <Yep. is> safe?
1: <laughs> yeah. But uh, go figure. She dumped me. Um, but at that point I had already found this job and bought a house in Loveland and like she was already moving there and stuff. So I was like, well, shit. So I I guess I'm going to move to Loveland still. So I moved up there and was kind of, you know, I was able to string together like three, four weeks of of sobriety beginning of Beginning of this year, uh, but was still kind of in and out of it. Wasn't super pumped about the job. I was living in this three bedroom, three bathroom house on a cul de sac in Loveland, which is a very kind of suburban t- town. Like it's very family oriented. It's right. no, it's nowhere for a, a single thirty five year old guy to live. <laughs> and
0: trying to get sober, uh, living in the burbs, yeah, too, too big a house for just it you.
1: yeah, it doesn't work. And then I saw her at this like Valentine's Day five k in Loveland. And, uh, yeah, just, it, it was a huge trigger, obviously had to be Valentine's day, of course. Um, tried to talk to her. She basically said, I don't want to talk to you anymore. I moved on and I went home and like drank for three or four days and it just, I, you know, I couldn't get out of it. Didn't go to work, uh, called into work and at the end of that three or four days, I was like, I need all right, fine. I'll, you know, inpatient re- rehab had been brought up to me before. And of course it was, I made all the excuses. It was like, well, I can't, I have work. What about my dogs? What about this? What about that? But after that, I was just exhausted. I was like, okay, I'll go. Mm-hmm. So I went up to um, a place called Harmony in Essence Park and it was, it was great. I was up there for 24-ish days and it was really good. And when I left, I thought, okay, you know, I've got, you know, almost a month now. I've got all the tools I need. I'm just, you know, I'm going to do this recovery thing. And I got back to Loveland. Um, I started going to AA, found a sponsor and got to about 60 days. And then I flew back to, uh, flew back to Wisconsin to see family and, uh, and I had a relapse there. And it was, you know, I was around, I was around family and it, and that in itself is not triggering. Like my family's been awesome throughout this whole thing. Um, I think I, I started to feel sorry for myself. I was around, you know, my younger sister with her two beautiful kids. And I started getting those thoughts of like, what the hell happened to me? Why did this happen to me? And, uh, and I relapsed there and I came back to Colorado and that was, that was really the worst. It it was like the three days after I got back were awful. Like it was, I was drinking till I passed out. I would wake up check what time it was because i had no idea yeah if the, if the liquor store open i would go there get more come back and that was that was the lowest i have ever been for sure there was i mean right before i decided to go back up to harmony the night before i just thought man i'm gonna just i'm gonna drink everything i have and if i don't wake up tomorrow that's okay that's how low uh, it was It was like there's nothing left
0: um, um jeremiah was this so. 2021 or this year
1: this year. Yeah. This was all okay. this year. Gotcha, yep. so gotcha, I, gotcha. It went up to, yeah, I went to, to Harmony in February and then had 60 days, went back to Wisconsin, had a, had the relapse, came back. And this was April of this year. And, um, I knew that I had to go back. Like I knew that that was the only, that was the only thing I could think of, um, sure. was to go back.
0: Yeah, I got so a question went, about, yeah. about, about treatment real quick. Cause I had those same, obstacles in mind. I got a job, I got a pet, all this stuff. But what do you have? What message do you have to people who are thinking about, or maybe in that same position, like something has to be done. My, my ideas are not working. What message do you have to them about treatment? Like, Hey, just go.
1: Yeah, man, I, Paul, my message is probably what people were telling me at the you know middle of 2021. It was like, Hey, just go do this uh, because you need to. And it's hard to, it's hard to hear that, And it's hard for me to sit here and try and convince other people that maybe it's time to think about inpatient because that's, you know, there's so much stigma around inpatient. And yes, there are life responsibilities that you have to, you got to deal with for, for being, you know, if you're going to be gone for a month, but looking back, I wish more than anything that I had just gone in 2021. I wish I would have just told my job, Hey, like I'm drinking too much and I need help. And they probably would have said, okay, thanks for telling us go to rehab get clean come back um, instead I just further destroyed my life for a year and that that felt like a last resort and and what I realized is that I wasn't taking care of any of the things that I thought that I had to take care of while I was in treatment anyway like I yeah. wasn't showing up to work I wasn't walking my dogs. I wasn't doing any of that anyway. So yeah, good point. What's
0: what's the alternative? I can't go to treatment because I have to do this, but are you really doing that? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah,
1: exactly. So yeah, that's my message is if you think you need to go, it's going to be, you're going to, you're going to come out much better able to handle life. And yes, you're going to be gone for 30 days or 20 days or whoever long it is. And everyone I was up there with thought the same thing. They were like, God, I wish I would have done this sooner. Like this is what I needed.
0: Yeah, I do not have experience of treatment as as a client or a patient, right? But I was stupid to not go in twenty fourteen. My pride, my willpower, um, I wrote it way too long, and it was quite risky. And this is a matter of life and death, right? Um, okay, so you're in Harmony, I think that's what it's called, right? Yep, Harmony outside SS Park, I've, and uh, yeah, what what happens next?
1: Well, so they they have you stay in like their their detox room for one or two nights just to make sure you're you're medically stable before they release you into the general population. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I shouldn't even use that term. It's, it, it is like a, it's like a resort. I mean, I don't want to call it a resort because it's not at like one of those for-profit rehab places. It is, it's very, it's a very good place and a very well-respected place, but it is a very comfortable place to be. Um, But anyway, I was in that, that their detox area and just laying in the bed thinking like, okay, I know for the next couple of weeks I'm going to be safe because I'm up here and everything's going to be okay. But I was dreading going back to Loveland. I was mm. like, I'm going to have to leave here. I'm going to have to go back to that, that giant house. And, and that, and you know, this, this was a house that I was supposed to live in with my ex. Like we sure. had talked about what colors we were going to paint the walls and, I didn't really like my job. I didn't like Loveland and I didn't like the house. And at that moment, I was like, I'm just going to quit. And, and that is the first time that I have, that I started to let go of my ego because, mm. you know, my whole life I had, I had been rewarded for just working harder and having everything look pretty good on the outside. You know, I was in high school, I was in sports. It was okay. You practice harder. You can be captain in college. Yeah, study hard, you can get a good degree. You know, I got multiple job offers after college. I got multiple promotions after I was in the workforce. And it was always just work harder and be smarter and you can do it. And this was the first time this was the first thing I couldn't just do that for. I could I tried I tried everything and I couldn't fix it myself. But that moment laying in laying in that detox room I was just like fuck it. I don't care what it looks like. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to get the hell out of Loveland. I'm going to just do something different. Mm. Um, So when they, when they, when I got out of the detox room, they let, we went up to the, the lodge is what they call it It is kind of the common space for the men up there and there's access to computers. And the first thing I did was I emailed my boss and quit. And I just said, you know, I'm going to figure it out when I get back. And it was so freeing. It was like, wow, I now have, I now just don't have to go back to that. I don't know what I'm going to go back to. Yeah, that causes a little bit of anxiety, but I don't have to go back to that. Uh, and it was this huge weight off my shoulders.
0: Wow! And listeners, one of the the components of treatment is it gives your brain a chance to to clean up, to let the fog go away, because you can't get that clarity while you're trying to drink on your own and you're in a your cycle of day two, day three, day one. And yeah, sometimes you can just see things clearly. Quit your job, so you come out of treatment, no job. Um, I know you moved back to Denver. And uh, yeah, talk to us about the recovery component. How did you stay sober? Did you join? Did you go to AA and um, what are the resources that have worked for you?
1: Yeah. So uh, coming out of treatment, I, yeah, I moved back to, uh, moved back to Denver and took a good three or four months off. And I went to a couple AA meetings. I tried some NA meetings. I'd go with friends. So that was a component. Um, I attend, still attend a lot of uh, cafe chats throughout the week. I stayed really connected with the Harmony Foundation. So they have they have similar alumni chats. They have they had a camping trip I went on. Um, so I, I really stayed plugged into the recovery community, um, but in a different way. When I was in that period kind of between treatments, you know, I went to a meeting probably every other day. I got a sponsor. We would sit down before the meeting and read the big book, like paragraph. We'd take turns reading paragraphs. And I realized that I was, yeah, I was in a program, but it, I was miserable. Like it was Mm. not the program for me. So when I came out, I was like, you know what? I'm going to stay plugged into the recovery community. And that's, that's a little bit of AA. That's the Harmony Foundation. That's, that's Recovery Elevator. But I'm also just going to do stuff that I used to enjoy. Like I'm going to get back into mountain biking. I'm going to get back in shape. I'm going to start eating better. I'm going to go camping. I'm going to take my dogs to the park. And that's what I did, and and for three three four months I didn't work, and I I went out to California for a, a week. Um, I went backpacking in in Canyonlands in Utah, and just kind of hit reset. And I think that was very needed. Uh, so that was that was probably ju- uh, June through August September ish of this year, twenty twenty two, and then um, started applying for jobs. Found a new job in Denver, and started there in September. Uh, just, just bought a house, still renting out that house in Loveland and, uh, bought a house in, on the South side of Denver, just moved in a few weeks ago.
0: Jeremy, you said something that I want to unpack more. I absolutely love. You said doing things that I used to enjoy. That is an impactful statement because we all have things that we used to enjoy. Sometimes it was in childhood or or early adolescence, even high school, even early twenties. But I fully believe if our long-term sobriety It's not a no to alcohol, it's a yes to a better life. And the yes to a better life has to include joy, doing things that put us in a state where we almost lose track of time. This is called the flow state for many people. And the joy, it it can come on day one, it did not for me, Um, but I love that it's coming back in my life as well. I used to be a big fan of model trains. I, and I don't know why I'm <laughs> laughing. Like I love I love that hobby. And I have a giant model train going around in my house. There's like 90 feet of track that goes through the walls. I've always been a big fan of reptiles and amphibians. And that hobby has just exploded. When I go to Costa Rica, I put a headlamp on and I go almost every night and try to find more specifically snakes. I have a boa constrictor right now. I've always loved animals. Um, I have a dog and I have four goats. And doing things that we used to enjoy. And a lot of times for people, they forget, right? Because life gets so complicated and the drinking completely covers it up. But this is the most beautiful journey in a way that it's uncovering. It's it's not adding more to the plate. It's removing all the gunk of the layers of nonsense and stuff that doesn't really matter that we've packed on through a life of the Western culture. And so when you said going back to doing things that I love and enjoy I just want to double stamp that listeners. Yes. Recovery is challenging. Quitting drinking was the hardest thing I've ever done because we get, we go so far off the path that, that nudging it back even slightly is difficult. But once we get back to the point where we can do things that we enjoy and that's go, that's going back to a childish state, like the a, a state of childhood. It's just, it feels so good to be there. Um, and talk to us about how these ho- hobbies have has, have, has impacted your life.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, I would, I would say, my hobbies are are just as big a part of my recovery as as any formal recovery program that i'm i'm in um you know f- for me when i can get into the mountains when i can get on a bike when i can get on a snowboard it it forces me to be in the moment and that that is probably my biggest takeaway from recovery is just being present and being mm. mindful because you know, when you're doing things that require attention, like mountain biking and snowboarding, like you are just in that moment and you're not worried about anything. You're not regretting anything. You're just in the moment. And, and I've, I've started to incorporate that just more in my daily life because for so long life was about, okay, work harder to get this promotion, stay with this woman to move in together in Loveland, and then everything will be fine. It was always like, do this and then you'll be happy and probably my biggest takeaway from recovery is like nothing is guaranteed like how about when i walk my dogs in the morning i just look at the leaves and feel the wind and that's enough instead of thinking about everything i have to do throughout the day hmm. um so that that's something i've i've really latched onto in recovery is this whole idea of mindfulness because it is it, it was huge for me. Um, it changed just my outlook, not just on recovery, but just on, on life in general. Uh, it's been it's been huge.
0: Jeremiah, I think that's the holy grail of a human life is is living in the present moment, right? There's been spiritual teachers, the the greats, Jesus, Buddha, um, Eckhart Tolle. I'm a big fan of his. And their main key points are living presently, living in the moment. In fact, I just read an article that I sent to Patrick Foley. He's our mindfulness instructor here at Cafe RE at Recovery Elevator. They did a study about mindfulness versus Prozac, or I, th- I think it was Prozac, or an antidepressant. and said the results is the same, that mindfulness is just as powerful as, as Big Pharma. And I would even go to say further that it's more it's more powerful. Um, and I think you said the biggest takeaway so far is, has been presence, living in the present moment. Um, and I like how you said, again, part of your program is the joy. There was a couple of weeks ago where I was going to go to an AA meeting, but I had ordered a, I'd recently picked up a Native American flute. And, and I forgot to talk about music. Like that's how I, that's a hobby. That's the biggest gift that recovery has given me is my music again. And so I did not go to the AA music or AA meeting, but I played the flute for like 35, 40 minutes and it was powerful. It brings me into the present moment. It's a challenge. It's great for the brain to new, to learn new tasks. And I love it. How joy is part of your program, Jeremiah, I got a couple more questions before we hit the rapid fire round. What's on your bucket list in an alcohol-free life?
1: and that's that's a tough question, Paul. We just talked about mindfulness. We in the did present. like be in no, this no, moment right me, now, but yeah, let's think no, about the future, what, buddy. What the bucket list is? Well, I have hiked about two thirds of the Appalachian Trail. I want to finish that. I want to get to the summit of Mount Rainier, and I I would like to uh, I'd like to have a family at some point. I think that would be very fulfilling.
0: Well, you're coming up on seven months away from alcohol. Has there been? An intense craving? Have you almost done some field research or a relapse?
1: Yeah. You know, you know, what's funny is I, you know, in the first, they tell you in your first year of sobriety to like, okay, maybe don't take that trip. Maybe don't go to that concert. Don't go to that wedding. In the first six months of sobriety, I've probably been to Red Rocks like and seen 10 concerts. Mm -hmm. I've traveled out of state, uh, solo. I have been to sporting events. I have done the things that they kind of tell you not to do.
0: Don't forget buying um, a house.
1: Yeah. bought a house, changed jobs, like all those, yep. all those big things. Um, but, but for me, that's, that's how I had to, I knew that there were some tactical things that I just had to do. Otherwise sure. um, I was, I wasn't going to stay sober, but my cravings have not come at those times. You would think it wasn't at the wedding I went to. It wasn't at the concert or the Rockies game. Oddly enough, like when I was looking at houses, I was touring one, and I opened the pantry, and my realtor was in the backyard looking at something. And there was a bottle of Jack Daniel's there, and I almost like grabbed it, and mm. I was like, "Wait a second, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, normal people don't do that. Like, stop it. Like, why would you do this? Like, my cravings have not been in in social situations. My cravings have been like in these weird, like, like wanting to just like sit at home and like drink whiskey in my backyard by myself. And I've usually been able to be like, okay, that's not normal thinking. Like, don't do that. And then, and then, okay, if you do do that, where does that lead? What's, what's going to happen tomorrow morning? How are you going to feel? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm able to, uh, to kind of stave it off.
0: What Woody, I want to throw something in before we hit the rapid fire round. I had a relapse in Argentina. I was touring wine country and I was feeling good. Well, I think I had a couple of days away from alcohol and we had, were at the continental breakfast at the hotel and there was a large bottle of alcohol on display that I could see it was about three quarters full. I walked through the restaurant in the morning, 8 a.m., a lot of people there, took the bottle off a display, poured my glass all the way full, and drank it right there while standing <laughs> next to the display, the bottle on display. It's just, if you don't act like it's it's out of, behavior's out of line, then or not normal, then... Yeah, and it was full of alcohol. And I hear you on that. Normal people don't walk up to the the dis- display bottle at eight a.m. and drink it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. It's funny because I can te- I can see that happening. I, and in my mind, I'm like, oh yeah, that makes that makes total sense.
0: <laughs> totally. Hey, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a free breakfast. Everything's included. Um, yeah. All right, Jeremiah. We have hit the rapid fire round. If You can answer these questions within ten to thirty seconds. That would be great. Are you ready? Yep. All right, what's the one thing you've learned about yourself in sobriety?
1: Uh, the one thing I've learned is that I can't control everything, and that's okay. I can I can control some things, but most of the things I'm not going to be able to control, and there's nothing wrong with that.
0: Okay, best sober moment.
1: I would say it was uh, when I took this trip to Big Sur, about two or three months of sobriety. I made some coffee and went down to the ocean and just sat there and journaled and read and thought to myself, you know, if I was drinking, there is not a chance that I would be doing this right now. And I was completely happy in that moment.
0: Favorite alcohol-free drink?
1: Coffee. Uh, Just black coffee. I definitely drink too much, but I'm okay with that right now because uh, it doesn't destroy my life and I like it.
0: (laughs) You may have to consult the bison behind you, but what's the point of life?
1: Uh, I think that's a trick question, Paul. I don't think there is there is no point of life. I think that that's, that's the scam that we've been talked into our whole lives. That mm. I don't know what the point of life is, but I know that today there are some things that are going to happen, and all I can do is is react in a way that brings the most joy to myself and those around me.
0: Favorite 90s band, Jeremiah? Beastie Boys, hands down. Ah, wow, that's what's up. I love it. Uh, pineapple on pizza, yes or no?
1: Uh, I could be convinced, but it's not my go-to. I won't fight it though.
0: All right. We're still friends. And then last question, Jeremiah, what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners?
1: That sobriety does not have to define you. I think in early sobriety, we we make this out to be such a big deal. Like, oh, I'm never gonna be able to do anything fun for the rest of my life. And that's not true. And it doesn't it doesn't define me. I don't go around telling people that I'm a sober person. I am just a normal guy that likes to spend time in the mountains and play with his dogs and travel and see live music and I happen to not drink.
0: Love that answer, Jeremiah. And before we depart, give listeners your own You Might Need to Ditch the Booze IF line.
1: You might need to ditch the booze if you wake up on the floor at the Atlanta airport when you are not flying to Atlanta and you don't quite remember how you got there and there is a dealt the airlines bag next to you with a with some deodorant and one of those like one or two time used toothbrushes and a flight voucher
0: <laughs> wow yeah that one checks out for sure that's a good one <laughs> i woke up on an airplane it didn't know i had done the layover and there was something stapled to my passport it says please assist passenger <laughs> mr churchill to gate f yeah you know, g8 So I was obviously (laughs) wheeled to the past. You know, I was coherent enough to get on the plane, but I would I was totally blacked out.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, man. Those airports and airplanes are are rough, but for sure. Much, much better now.
0: Jeremiah, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I know your story is going to help a lot of people. It's it's been inspiring to me. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah, thanks, Paul. It was great talking with you.
0: I want to share a post from the Instagram account, A Thousand Hours Dry. Here it goes. It says, A study from the University of Michigan 2020 found that the portion of college-aged Americans who do not drink has risen from 20% to 28% in the past decade. The best way to fix alcoholism is to prevent it in the first place. Way to go, Gen Z. Big time. Gen Z and many others are waking up to the fact that alcohol is shit. Speaking of waking up, I once heard the line that everything woke goes to shit. (laughs) I agree. Just ask Big Tobacco. With catchy icons such as the Marlboro Man and a fun cartoon camel, they spun a tale that inhaling toxic carcinogens was good and cool for you. And we believed it. That's the worst part. Until massive amounts of people started dying from lung cancer. Tobacco, mostly cigarettes, is the cause for nearly 500,000 deaths each year in America alone. Big alcohol has also spun a similar story that alcohol is good for you, that we need it for fun, that it's good for your cardiovascular health, that you'll be the next most interesting man in the world. But we are waking up, and just like domestic tobacco sales went to shit, I imagine the same is already in motion for big alcohol. Recovery elevator, this isn't a no to alcohol, but a yes to a better life. I love you guys.